0: the Guardian. This Guardian podcast is sponsored by Husqvarna, leaders in lawn and garden equipment. Husqvarna, ready when you are.
1: What's your best chicken
0: noise? The best chicken noise is the one when the pigeons fly over to be honest and when a pigeon flies over they're never quite sure what a pigeon is so they all go
2: oh and
0: look up with one eye and you think oh there goes a pigeon.
2: Oh I
1: love chickens.
3: Hello, this is So, Grow, Repeat, the gardening podcast from The Guardian. I'm Alice Fowler. And I'm Jane Perot. And this episode will be all about pets and gardens. We'll be learning everything you need to know about keeping chooks with self-confessed chicken ear, Andy Cawthray. But first, we're going to be talking cats and dogs with Tom Cox,
1: author of The Good, The Bad and the Furry, and Karen Bush, author of Dog Friendly Gardening, creating a safe haven for you and your dog. Welcome, Tom and Karen. Hi there.
3: Now, before we begin, I think that Alice and I should probably lay our cards on the table about our own pets uh, in our own households. I own a dog, but I'm allergic to cats. I have been known to like individual cats, but as a species, eh, not so keen. So I'm definitely a dog person. Alice, what about you? I'm, I'm with you in the,
1: the dog camp. I think that cats are a little bit of an ecological nightmare, but I am always open to changing my position on anything
3: (laughs) well that's good to hear Tom there is a bit of a stereotype that cats and gardens and gardeners don't really mix in fact only this morning an email dropped into my inbox from a desperate reader saying how do I stop cats from pooing in my garden they're all fighting and and doing horrible things can you step in here
2: and, and give us the positive line on cats in gardens yeah, you've just got to talk to them properly, really. I mean, I, I sort of sat mine down um, quite a few many years ago, really, and ju- just said you've, you've got to go and do somewhere good that doesn't upset anyone's plants, really. And and they they've pretty much listened actually, ever since then. Um, no, it's it's a very hard thing to defend, really. You know, they they do it. I I don't find it a bother though. I I haven't. I mean, I'm I'm a sort of I'm an amateur. Gardener, I'm just starting to get into it, but I've had last couple of houses, I've had, I've had nice gardens, and I, I don't find like a load of cat poo everywhere. And I've been certainly my last place was, um, it was surrounded by cats. It was it was really cat central. It wasn't just my own fault but it was cats on every side really, and uh, I didn't find it a problem. But I suppose you, maybe you don't notice it if you've got a fairly sizable garden so much, and it's and it is a problem if you're going to trying to keep a really really nice meat garden in a very small space um, cat poo is probably going to be a bit of a problem
1: I think that if you have cats then the very act of having cats means that you have no cat poo in your garden and that's, that's part of my thing my problem with cats is that they're, they're largely to me part of the ego of the owner so not, not only do they kill birds and eat cat feed but they make this big point of kind of not doing neighbourly things
2: um yeah well i i think mine don't kill birds because oh. um i've put two bells on them okay well you're you're good and so they 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 sound like a, a morris dancing troupe when they approach <laughs> um, which uh, which which tends to to warn birds pretty well but i i totally disagree with you about about the ego thing i i think dogs are the most egotistical animals going because i, I love dogs actually but uh, but i do think um you know, a, a cat gives you a lesson in, in what to expect from life. Life's not going to be easy, whereas a dog, it's like having your own little sycophant there, isn't it?
1: <laughs> Karen, do you want to ju- jump in dog- there and defend dogs for a yeah, second? Yes, so I think a dog actually sort of supports
4: you when you're having problems with the life, with the problems in life that cats have thrown at you, to be honest.
1: But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> there
4: you go. But I, I'd like to sort of actually sort of say at this point, though, that sort of everyone sort of says that cats are terribly predatory and what have you, and I'm sure they probably are, and I think... I was watching a program last night that was saying that they decimate the birds and what have you. Uh, but dogs can also be terribly predatory as well. Watch out for your hedgehogs and your wildlife and birds and things in the garden. Oh, yeah.
2: I, dogs. I remember going to a um, garden with my mum and dad about, gosh, it must have been about 15 years ago and just seeing um, someone had, had brought their dog and, and just seeing it eat a small sort of uh, I think it was one of those peaking bantam chickens just instantly
3: oh my word
2: um which was it was was a real everyone was really shocked by it so yeah dogs do this as well and they're also cats um it's not it's not all cats I mean yeah most cats are pretty predatory but my so I've got um I've got four and my oldest one the bear who's um he'll be 20 this year to my knowledge he has never killed anything he he will sometimes when my other cats have got mice, he'll sometimes end up standing over the corpse as if he wants to to read it some poetry to send <laughs> <laughs> But that, that's I'm about I'm sure it's it. not the
4: just that you've never actually seen him in the act. He's definitely are quite cunning about it.
2: No, I mean he's I've I've seen him when mice are running around as well, and he'll he'll just he'll he'll have a look and everything. But he's just he's a, he's an unusually polite cat. It's like he's he's walking around going. Can you tell me why I'm a cat, please? I'm just really not comfortable in this role.
3: He sounds a bit like there was a cat that on my allotment that I really took to. He was a bit of a stray. I think he might have been owned by an elderly person who wasn't really able to look after him very well. And I, I called him the major. I liked him because he was kind of like a dog in his behaviour, um, but he was a sort of a, a lovely presence around my allotment plot. And I have to say, I never found any cat poo on my allotment. So he was obviously taking his... Elsewhere, but he was a particularly delightful cat. We should also point out that dogs can destroy your garden too. Um, no, they don't. No, no, no. No, it, 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 the
4: whole point about dog friendly gardening is you have a garden friendly dog as
3: well. Uh, uh, okay. <laughs> because I, I mean, I'm on a Lurcher forum, and the number of posts of people with pictures of their grass as a mud bath saying what do i do they've destroyed my grass again with their zoomies and digging holes there are actually sort of ways
4: around it if you've got a dog that digs where you give it a special place of its own okay. to dig in in the same way as you give children a sand pit or ah, okay
3: a garden how do you well, how
4: do you make them dig
3: there do you do treat offer them treats or something to yes
4: yeah, so the, the thing is get the site right because okay. if the dog's got a sort of particular place that it really really is obsessed with digging in that's mm-hmm. the place and sort of make it dig somewhere else it will probably just sort of, like the moment your back is turned it'll probably just go back to the original spot but <laughs> just will set up your, sort of, your dog's digging spot where it particularly likes to go and then you can just encourage it to use that by yes burying treats favorite toys go and have a little game with it in there so, you know show it how it can dig up the treats and it keeps it all right in the garden a little bit more sort of stimulating and exciting as well because it has sort of somewhere to go to do something interesting in
2: I did, I did notice when I moved into my um, house here in Devon um, about 14 months ago, the, the lawn was incredibly thick and long. It um, hadn't been mowed for, gosh, a, lot, a long, long long time, and the previous people have had, had either a, a lurcher or a greyhound, I think. And, and as I started to um, get, get the lawn a, a bit nicer, I, I would gradually find more and more li- little um, dog toys that had been buried. I, started, I found <laughs> about 12, I think, in total. I don't think my cats have ever buried anything but they did them um, quite neatly actually i had some molehills last year and um quite quite neatly they they started just just pooing on the molehills nowhere else well uh, that's
1: a really key thing about cats and gardens isn't it is that cats will go and poo wherever looks very much like a litter tray yeah so if you right. have kind of loose dry soil they'll you know have a heavenly time in that and if you actually have really dense planting there's no way cats are going to go
3: well my strategy is on my i have two uh two by two meter rose beds where i grow a lot of veg and my strategy there is i get um the really spiky prunings from from a i, can't remember, I think it's a pear tree actually and it's very spiny and i just literally lay them over the ground and my children also have to take care not to <laughs> spike themselves. But it completely stops any cats mm. from getting access to that area. Or the same with holly holly branches yeah. and things like that. Or even bamboo, like bits of bamboo where, where they just don't like the prickliness. And that works really, really well. But obviously, it's thin enough that it won't interfere with anything that's coming through growing there. But it, it does seem to deter them really well. What
2: you should do is just... Um, do the, I need the, to
3: talk to them, Tom? The, no, the, even
2: better, the, the bit that you really don't want them to go in, just buy a really expensive cat toy or a few and just put them there because they're they're, they're guaranteed to steer clear of that because cats hate expensive cat toys.
4: (laughs) There's there's, there's a plant called the scaredy cat plant which I bought at great expense. Uh, That didn't actually work at all. So trying scaredy cat plant.
2: (laughs) Um, Someone was telling me about lion poo as well. Does it work? No, no. I've tried lion poo. Lemon
4: um, and all the other stuff that's garlic actually and if you put vaseline around the tops of your fences they don't like getting that on their paws
1: okay also i find cuz i have i have a really kind of trashy gang of neighborhood cats that nobody really looks after and they just endlessly keep breeding and driving everybody mad and so isabel will chase them out the garden but then i find that like that the arrogance of cats is that they then spend all day just kind of placing themselves to annoy her so that yeah. there's too many cats at once and she can't decide which one to chase first. And they, like, <laughs> I can just see them hanging out on the shed, working out their strategy to annoy do, the dog. Yeah.
2: Oh, I do love to see cats winding up dogs.
1: <laughs> I, think, I think what is actually needed is for Tom to actually tour the
4: country with his educated cats, educating all the other cats. <laughs>
2: the, 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 yeah, they're very, <laughs> but, they aren't but, well educated. Missing, Every yeah. time I leave the house, I leave Radio 4 on for them. to to sort of give them an education and stuff and they they do seem to to be i mean i I don't know though i might i might have just got got lucky but they they there are problems i have actually just dug a herb bed and i I did notice one of them just go straight into it but he he went to the back you know he didn't he wasn't around the herbs
1: yeah i wonder if you could and well i suppose that then makes your neighbors have to i was kind of saying i wonder if you could change the cat diet so that It wasn't quite so offensive. Because part of the problem is that the smell of cat poo is like nothing else in this world. It is the most offensive smell I can think
2: of. Yeah, you wouldn't want to compost it,
1: would you? No. Though we've just been looking into, Jane and I, systems that allow you to compost your cat and dog poo. Right. Of which there are... New and various ones coming out.
3: Are there any particular plants that they like to hang out in? Do they like? Do you have any sort of catmint or anything that they they sort of go nuts for?
2: No, I've only just actually got to that stage. I was just, I was actually thinking of planting some this week, but no, there's. I mean, I try and keep them off. Re- the really strong catnip, actually, because they 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 go wild and uh, they have these these crazy skins parties and Im- invite all the stray cats around and everything. Um, <laughs> but I was thinking, yeah, I'll, I'll get some catnip, and there are a few that you've got to keep them away from. Um, most mostly like indoor pla- plants. I'm not sure of the exact list, but um, a lot of people don't realise lilies are absolutely mm-hmm. deadly to cats
4: and chrysanthemums.
2: Oh yeah, those as well. Yeah. Cause, um, and they only have to just just sort of brush against them and get a bit on their fur, and they, if they lick that, they, it could be disastrous. But the good news
4: is lilies are fine for dogs.
2: Are they? Right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> is there anything that's really bad for dogs? Yes, um, things like sort of you and Oleander. I mean, I suppose the problem is, like, I have a dog that wouldn't chew anything, so mm. that you didn't... I mean, even if you give her something to chew, she's a bit kind of like, you expect me to chew that, but if you have a dog that chews absolutely everything... Then yeah, you I mean, do you have get an issue there. some dogs who will try
4: and put anything in their mouths, no matter how bad it tastes, they'll still have a crack at it and uh, have, have a chew on it. So, I mean, the, the thing really is if you've got a dog and you're just not sure if it's going to have a go or not, just don't have anything poisonous in your garden. Yeah. It's going to be poisonous to people, then it's going to be poisonous to dogs. But there are also things which are fine for people, which are very poisonous for dogs, such as onions, uh, grapes. People quite often yeah, will give their dogs a grape as a, as, as a treat. Chives is not great for them. So they are some things which are like fine for
3: us to eat that are not good for dogs. And what do you do? I've had my dog for about six weeks and already, although he's not a digger or a, uh, a, he doesn't make any bear patches, but my problem now is brown patches where he has his little spots where he likes to have his urination before bed. And it's now very brown. So I'm wondering if there's anything I can do about that. Other, I'm, What I'm thinking of doing is just putting some kind of barrier around that for the grass to recover. But is there anything else you can do? There's a couple of things you can do.
4: You can either sort of create a special pea place for him, so that if he's going to be doing a wee in the garden on a regular sort of basis, lasting at night, for example, if you don't want to go out and walk him outside, he has his special sort of, his special pea place, um, where it's probably always going to be a little bit brown and a little bit horrid. It means that the rest of the garden is spared. That's his special place that he goes to. If you see him having a wee somewhere in the garden, just have your watering can handy and ready and go and water it, water it in.
3: Oh, right, I'm of, yeah.
4: It's just trying to get rid of, the, dilute the nitrogen in the wee, which is what burns the grass.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: And it's great fertiliser, but if you, in in, in quantity it does
3: burn, burn I, everything. I did read um, something about the dog that had been trained to wee into a bucket, which... <laughs>
4: Crikey, that's so smart. I don't um, know how I mean, you, you do that. You can train them to wee on command as well, which is actually quite a handy thing to have because if you're going anywhere or you're in a hurry to go out or something, you can just sort of send them out and have a quick wee, and then away you go. Once um, you're visiting someone's garden, you can actually train them to have a wee before you go and visit someone else's
1: garden. Right. My know, dog it's does easy. that. And that's actually
4: really simple, really easy to oh. do. Just the moment you have your dog with it's an older dog, they can still learn to do it. Obviously, it's simpler to start from a puppy. Um, but just every time they have a wee, wait till they're actually in mid-flow then just give them your "we" command. And then when they're right. finished, so you don't distract them while actually getting on with the business, when they're finished, just give, you know, give them a little bit of praise, give them a reward. And pretty quickly, they sort of learn to catch on. I can send my guys out into the garden now and just tell them to hurry up. They'll go out and have a wee and then come back in again.
1: Yeah, because I was taking my dog every day on a train. I thought it was really paramount that like, she would you know go to the loop before she got on the train because you know, some yeah. of the train journey was... And I did exactly that. And she does it, she does it on command. But also, I got a pee stick when yeah, she's got I mean, this no, you need to go too expensive buying one though. Can you just? It's because it's just the smell, so you no. can just. Just yeah, just yeah. I mean, any stake will do, or anything
4: yeah. will do. Just like, right. so whack it in the ground wherever you want them to have their special pea place. And if they need a little bit of encouragement to use it, then you just collect a little bit of their wee and pour it over it. Oh,
1: okay.
4: So you can actually sort of have it as an attractive feature if you want. Just you know, have a pretty pot down there, or a little bit of sculpture, or a little mini totem pole, or. Whatever takes your fancy, really. So it could actually sort of be a garden feature rather than a garden eyesore. And you sort of put some bark chips or something down there. um, Then you can always sort of connect those up and they start to get a little bit smelly. And it doesn't look unattractive in the same way as a piece of sort of scorched brown turf looks a bit
3: horrid. And Tom, how do your cats interact with grass? Do they like to have some grass to lie in?
2: Oh, I think so, yeah. I mean, cats sometimes just, just to sort of aid. Digestion stuff. They'll they'll sometimes eat a bit of grass. Mm -hmm. So if you see a cat sort of puking some grass up, it's not it's not necessarily a bad sign. So I lived in temporary accommodation for a while, which was just a a bungalow just surrounded by concrete, really. And and the the cats hated it. And you could almost see them sort of aging in that in the six months I was there, really, and all looking a a bit. It's like the light went out from behind their eyes a little bit, and the 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 fur got a bit less shiny. And uh, I mean, I was thinking um, with the bear who was eighteen at that point, you know, he's probably not gonna live that much longer really. And then I brought him to my current place, which is in the countryside in Devon and uh, and they they have lots and lots of grass here and they're just rolling about on it all day. He's out all the time. He's got he's he's looking younger, he's got a new lease of life and he's he's nearly twenty. So it's it's definitely helped him. I mean I suppose in the in the way that it might help a human to be surrounded by green things and fresh air in nature really. I think I think it's the same with animals.
1: Yeah. I mean that's their kind of it's the biophilia hypothesis for cats as well as humans, right? Like everybody is better off being in a kind of functioning ecosystem than they are in being in a man made environment.
3: Definitely. I mean we, we should also point out that there are people who own cats and dogs and they get along very well. So, not all people come down one one side or other of the the cat or dog debate. They can get along brilliantly well together. Well, that's uh, hopefully we can all learn to live in harmony <laughs> in our gardens. Karen and Tom, thanks very much.
0: This Guardian podcast is sponsored by Husqvarna, leaders in lawn and garden equipment. Want a perfectly mowed lawn? The Husqvarna Ride-On Lawn Mower Range features a unique articulated steering system and front-mounted cutting deck, giving you unrivaled maneuverability in tight spaces, around trees, under benches, and against fences, allowing easy navigation of the most complex lawns. Husqvarna, ready when you are.
3: Joining us now is Andy Cawthray, a poultry breeder and author of Chicken and Egg, an egg-centric guide to raising poultry. I like what you did there, Andy. Andy also provides talks and courses on keeping poultry at home and shares his experience on his personal blog, The Chicken Street. Welcome to So Grow Repeat, Andy. Um, Andy, have we reached peak chicken? I have a feeling that there was a sort of a a peak about a couple of years ago. Have we topped out on the chicken Have we topped out or or is it still going strong, do you think? It's still going strong. It's a strange thing.
0: It, it, It goes in cycles, really. You know, people will buy their first flock of birds and then after maybe two or three years, they'll be looking to repeat place that flock so yeah there's a kind of it pulses there's always an underlying demand there but this year we've seen birds selling very rapidly and in fact actually we reduced the number we bred last year because we, we haven't had particularly good winters and I've been inundated with demands for birds. And the the auction prices have been much the same as well.
1: Yeah, I would say that I am classic chicken keeper in this way, in that I lost Alice and Gertrude. Alice and Gertrude went to the great chicken place in the sky. And I was like, that's it, I'm not doing that again. That was a load of hassle. And then about sort of eight months goes by, and you think, oh, I really miss chickens. Chickens mm. are fun. Chickens are great. And now I have Rosa, Crystal, and Simone. Very nice. Yeah.
0: Yeah, well, that's the thing, you see, people do go through cycles, they're, they're, they're very sociable creatures and they, well, you kind of get used to them, they, and they chat away to you, and you know, it's just strange, They, I mean, they are productive pets, ultimately, but...
1: They are brilliant pets, I cannot, yeah. like, sell chickens enough to people, that if you are kind of, can't decide whether you want a cat or a dog, actually what you want is a chicken. Absolutely. They are, they are the best of both worlds, because you get eggs, you get chicken manure, you get weeding done for free. Mm. And they're really... I mean, if you just have two or three, they're very sociable, aren't they? I mean, like, Gertrude would come and sit on your lap for a really long time. Yeah. And yeah. you just stroke her and she makes lovely noises. And there's there's nothing like a chicken noise. And I find myself quite often making quite a lot of... Like, I think I'm speaking to my chickens. Yeah. I, they probably <laughs> don't. But I love making chicken noises. I think that's probably one of every, every secret chicken...
0: I, I, I think so, yeah. I mean, the thing is, they've got around about 120 vocalizations anyway. So when you say you think you're speaking chicken, you quite possibly are throwing the odd word in there occasionally. <laughs> Not quite sure what it translates to, but you can tell there's, the, I mean, for example, if a, an aerial predator goes over the field, then there's a certain squawk that comes out, which is slightly different to one that might be seen at ground level. And so I can hear the welfare of my birds by, without actually seeing them. You know, so I can put my ear to the window or you know, the back door or something like that. And I can hear if there's a problem, and I can hear if they're content.
1: What, what's your best chicken noise?
0: The best chicken noise is the one when the pigeons fly over, to be honest. And when a pigeon flies over, they're never quite sure what a pigeon is, so they all go, oh, and look up with one eye. <laughs> and you think, oh, there goes a pigeon. <laughs>
3: Oh, I love chickens well, we've been talking about about cats and dogs andy, and mm. how how they to varying degrees dependent on the particular pet uh trash your garden. What about chickens how do how do chickens treat your garden generally
0: What's often said by people what's frequently said about chickens and gardens is that they don't mix well, it's not an untrue statement, but then by the same measure, it's true to say, and I can say this from experience that children in gardens don't mix, <laughs> and dogs and yeah. gardens don't mix. Mm. And it's all to do with the way in which you design your garden, and depends really on what you want from your chickens. Now, if you're just looking for something that's going to lay you loads of eggs, so you go and get yourself an ex-battery hen or a hybrid that lays a lot, then be prepared for your garden to get trashed if you don't keep them contained in some way. But there are other breeds of chicken that, well, like the Pekin or the Brahma, I mean, the Pekin's so small, its legs are that short that it can't really do much damage, and the Brahma is a big lazy bird anyway, and... Tends to walk through plants rather than round them, um, but and when it builds a dust bath, you could lose a small child in there. But ultimately, they're not great foragers.
3: I love Brahmas; they're my absolute favourites. Yeah, I chicken. wouldn't be
0: without them. They're like like Labradors
1: of the chicken world. See,
3: that's pretty. See again, it's going back to the dog thing, isn't it? I just like any creature that pretends it's a dog. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but I also found. I mean. So my chickens used to be in my garden and now they live on the allotment and it's a very different thing if you have them on allotment because you can be much more systematic about kind of moving them up and down and clearing beds and whatnot. But when they lived in the garden they had a kind of permanent spot at the bottom of the garden and then in spring and in autumn when basically things were either not emerging or dying back I would let them go and have their run of the garden where they would do an incredibly good job of cleaning up a lot of pests in particular scratching up the soil just you know just basically doing all the tasks I'd have to do but they were doing with a kind of joy that I couldn't ever come up with in (laughs) myself and then I would put them back again but what I found was that after sort of three years of being in the bottom of the garden the soil was tired from permanently living there and that that is an issue with chickens isn't it
0: yeah that can be an issue with chickens if you're going to have a fixed run then by all means allow them to use the soil as it is there for the first year or two make sure you do a bit of poo picking and, and ground sanitizers you can get ground sanitizers now as well so use them but after that you really need to be looking towards going towards a, a hardwood chip or um, or chipped rubber and then w- washing that down on replacing that on a, on a yearly basis just so as the you don't let any disease and worms and such like build up in their parasitic worms i mean by that measure i mean that's part of the reason why we haven't had very hard winters recently you know you need a long spell of of freezing cold weather and it's true of a garden it's true of chickens as well just to clean the ground mm. and equally you know, some people will go well we'll put them in that shady corner of the garden well actually a bit of bit of uv light on the ground isn't going to do any damage either that's going to clear off any of the eggs from the parasitic worms and such like but it's, it's, it's like you say, I mean, I use chickens as helpers, I mean, because despite their misplaced enthusiasm in the garden, shall we say, they're incredibly useful. You know, they they do help control the pests, they eat the weeds, the mow the lawn, the compost, the green waste, they improve the soil condition, and a little bit like yourself, collectively, they quite possibly do the work of one person in the garden throughout the year.
1: And also, I find that if you kind of move them really regularly, what happens is it, the first run that they do seems to be entirely about Insects, doesn't yes. it? They're not really interested in eating they just want to go through and eat all the small bodied insects. That's right. And then they move on. Then when they've kind of done that, they're like, Okay, what can I trash? Yeah. Um and so actually if you move them regularly enough, you can kind of stop them from trashing plants because it's only yeah. sort of on day three or four that they start going, Okay, I'll eat green things.
0: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got rid of all the seeds, I've scratched every um, wire worm up that I can find. <laughs> And, uh, and now i'm going to eat your dahlias
3: <laughs> <laughs> and are there any things that you from your garden that um you particularly grow for the chickens or or f- what kind of things do you give them from the veg patch do you do from the veg patch yeah. Well, it's,
0: it, it, yeah it's any any tops any greens that i've got left over or anything like that the outer leaves of cabbages and things like that that all goes in it, it, this the, they'll work their way through that any annual weeds they'll they'll eat those as well and nettles you can, if you cut nettles and let them dry, then uh, a hungry bird will eat the nettles. You know, they, they, they will eat them eventually. Um, but, yeah, it tends to be any of the kind of, if you like, the green waste... The rhubarb, whilst that's poisonous, they do actually enjoy a bit of a peck at that. I think they do a bit of self-medicating with it sometimes. I've seen sheep eat rhubarb leaves as well. Uh, You've got to eat a lot of rhubarb leaf to poison yourself, to be fair.
1: I heard that chickens do an awful lot of self-medicating. So if you kind of leave them across a garden, they'll go and eat different things. So one week, they may never go near any of your herbs. And then the next week, they may decide that they need to, you know, for whatever, they've got parasites or something. Yeah. Yeah, And so they'll kind of left, right and centre go for different things.
0: Yeah, feverfew is a good example. I have feverfew growing around the place in in, in some of the pens as well. And some days they'll never touch it, and other days they'll go and have a little taste on that.
1: Yeah, it's interesting, that one. I mean, it makes a lot of sense that they've evolved to be able to recognise that they need to eat certain things at certain times.
0: Yeah, I mean, that is a concern people have. They say, "So, I don't want chickens in my garden. What about the poisonous plants and things like that? Well, they'll work it out.
1: Yeah. Yeah. they're, They're actually, I think, probably a bit smarter than, say, domesticated cats and dogs in that way. Yes. Um, yeah. in that you don't really massively have to worry. Now, I just had a conversation with my friend, Birgit, who I'm keeping my chickens with on the allotment. Mm. And she and she phoned me up in a real panic because she said, uh, Rosa looks really sick. She's, uh, she's sitting down and she's panting. And I said, you know what? Chickens do things like that all the time. And mm. to be honest, they're either going to drop down dead within the next 10 minutes or yeah. they will just get over it. But for new chicken keepers, chickens display a lot of kind of Sick behaviour, don't they?
0: They can do, yeah. I mean, it, it, the whole concept of well, the avian species is not to give away how you feel. You know, it's not if you've got a broken wing, then you hide. If you're going through molt, then you hide. You know, if you if it, it, you know, you see ducks out on the water when they when they're molting, they'll stay out on the water. They're not going to go anywhere else because they can't fly away. So they they hide their illnesses, and chickens are no different. And you've always got it's husbandry by eye. You've got to keep an eye out on them. Birds can come rushing out in the morning they'll all look happy and they all they all look fine. You might go back an hour later and find one of them either isn't present or is hunched up somewhere. Because it's trying to it kinda of hides its, its its illnesses. So but yeah, you're right, sometimes you you've got no idea what's going on. A panting bird could be just a bird that's a little bit hot. They've got no thermal regulation, they have to pant like a dog does. And uh and, and that might be an issue. There again it might be that she's about to lay an egg or she's got a rather large egg or she's egg-bound, or some other problem. And with time and experience, you can you, you start to learn again this husbandry by eye. And, and particularly if you've got your birds tame, then you can pick them up and you do the physical inspections on them.
1: And one of the problems that I had a lot of, and is a classic kind of back garden chicken keeper issue, is getting mite, isn't it? Yes. And that can be, you can kind of not notice that's happened at all, and then suddenly you've got very sick birds. Have you got any recommendations other than using pesticides
0: the thing to do is to make sure that you clean you clean thoroughly but most of all is familiarize yourself with a red mite outbreak so that you know what you're looking for when we're talking about mite i'm assuming red mite here Mm. rather than northern fowl mite which is a slightly different much more aggressive parasite but it's not as frequently encountered in back gardens Um, but the yeah red mite make sure you know what you're looking for because as soon if you don't know what you're looking for it's likely that the first time you'll encounter it is when it's too late. Yeah. You know, it's when you start itching and you're wondering why. Yeah. You, or you're sitting watching the television and something crawls across your arm and you haven't been in the chicken pen for over two hours, which means it's been living on you for that length of time as well. So make sure you know about these things. And then it's, it's cleaning. It's a regime of cleaning that you need to, you need to pursue. And you, thorough cleans, deep cleans, at least every two weeks. You can use um, steamers, wallpaper steamers you know they'll get into the cracks if you've got a wooden house if you've got a plastic house jet wash it out yeah. but jet wash it out well away from where the birds are normally kept because otherwise all you'll do is wash the mites out onto the floor and they'll climb back into the house Yeah. you know and inspect your birds keep an eye on your birds because they say red mite lives in the house but actually it lives anywhere where it can find a suitable habitat to breed and that can be the back end of your chicken sometimes so make sure you inspect them yeah and look for passengers that way You can use diatomaceous earth, or DE as it's known. Um, That can work to an extent. Um, Its its efficiency is. I've yet to be convinced. You know that that it's absolutely fantastic, but it certainly seems to help as a preventative. And -hmm. the thing to do is work on prevention. When it comes to having to cure an outbreak, then you really do need to start looking towards things like well, total mite kill and things like that, which are. They're, not, they're organic pesticides, but they're still pesticides yeah. that you're chucking around, so you don't want to do that willy-nilly.
3: Where do you come down on the plastic versus wooden house? Is it is it a question of horses for courses, or do you have a preference?
0: I'm gradually swaying towards the plastic house side of things on the basis that um, they're very, very easy to clean and dry, um, I have to say, but I do like a well-built wooden house. The, 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 you can get good wooden housing. trouble is is you, you can get really poor wooden housing. You tend not to get very poor plastic housing because no manufacturer seems to have worked out a way of making them cheaply yet. But you can get cheap um, cheap wooden housing and, and that's just a disaster zone. I think if you're gonna go for something that you can walk into, you know, a large shed for example, a garden shed, then obviously you're looking at the wooden side of things. If you're looking for a small kind of house for, for chickens, maybe you want four or five in your garden, then add stretch to a plastic house if you can. If it doesn't work out, then you can always sell the plastic house, you know, and, and you'll probably get most of your money back.
1: Yeah, they yeah. have a great mm. resale value. I mm. bought mine. They second. do,
0: yeah. But I mean, my are... kids are all grown up now, so I didn't really want pieces of colourful plastic. <laughs> <other> <laughs> and I just got rid of it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I agree, they're not attractive, but they are a joy to wash down. Absolutely. They really are. Yeah. Now, this is a big thing that nobody really thinks about, their chickens but i think if you to own chickens you have to sort of come to terms with this one quickly which is chickens don't lay eggs forever and mm. what are you going to do with your chickens when they don't lay eggs because there's quite a big problem with pet homes and things getting given old chickens that people don't want to kill but they yeah. don't want because they're not laying eggs anymore
0: yeah that, i mean that, that that is a problem and again that's it's different breeds for different needs and sometimes your pure breeds can they might not lay as many as others and if you go with a hybrid then again they'll they'll Expire after a certain amount of time in terms of egg production at least anyway. And um, my advice would be if you can have six chickens, if you've got room for six chickens is to go with three to start off with and then after the first year, when they've reached the point where they're not laying in the molting for the winter, then you're introducing another two, which have been, will have been hatched in April, perhaps. And those will lay through the winter, at which point you might find that one of your birds has passed away after a year or two. Then you're putting another two in. And you basically have this three-year cycle of replacing two birds as it mm. goes round. And in that way, you can pretty much guarantee you're going to get eggs all year round. Plus, it allows your older birds to... Expire quietly in a corner, if you like, rather than you being sat there with with eight or nine chickens that nothing's <laughs> laying an egg anymore, and you haven't got the desire or the will to yeah. to kill them,
1: to ring so their necks, yeah. them out. Yeah, it is a um is a complicated one. You think you're yeah. going to have a position on it until you get there, and then you're like, oh,
0: it's but whether I you look you. at them as pets or livestock. That's the thing, you see. I mean, <laughs> if you think of them as being productive livestock, and they've reached the end of their productive lifespan, then you need to come up with a plan.
1: Yeah. I, I g-
0: retire my birds. My, I, I don't cull any of the hens because I think they've done a cracking job for me invariably. They produce plenty of eggs and they get to go and live in a, 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 an area there where they're marshalled by an old cockerel who's not got the capacity to tread them any longer. Uh, it's, it's like an old people's home.
3: Oh, that you know, sounds it's, great.
0: It's quite nice, you know. They, they <laughs> do, and some of them live forever, it seems, anyway. I think the longest I've had living in there has been 12 years old. That was a Rhode Island rat and she. still died two eggs in her last year
3: wow and Andy I know you have at least one dog how does your dog or dogs get on with the chickens
0: absolutely fine he's a collie and he's he's called Mick and he's he's a bit useless now because he's 12 years old and he's deaf (laughs) which means if I'm whistling for him he doesn't hear me and just keeps going but that's a different story and he's absolutely fine with them He, he he sits next to the pens and watches them the thing to do is some people have come to to my place with their dog and said can you know can we just see how our dog gets on around your chickens and if you can find a breeder that's willing to let you do that especially one like me where my my birds are not afraid of dogs they're quite used to dogs because they have a dog around them all the time then people can try out their pet dog against the chicken and see what happens Obviously keeping it on
1: a lead. Just like dogs, like people always worry about cats and their chickens. Mm-hmm. Mm. And actually, I've only ever known a chicken to be much more successful at teasing the cat than the other way around. Uh, yeah,
0: absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> uh, absolutely. I get feral cats here and, uh, and the chickens see them off.
1: Yeah, so you don't have to worry about you don't that. Don't have to worry about that, no. You do have to worry about foxes. There are a lot of urban foxes. Yeah. If you don't make sure that your pen is properly tamped down and you close them up at night, then... You just have to take that gamble every night, don't you? Yeah, you
0: you have a duty of care to the welfare of your birds in that instance. So, yes, you need to be there to close them away and make sure they're safe and secure during the day if you can't be present around them.
3: That sounds fair enough. Well, thank you very much for joining us, Andy.
0: You're welcome. Thank you for inviting me.
3: Well,
1: thanks for listening. And next week, it's an Ask Alice special. And we've rounded together a team of a philosopher, a comedian and another gardener. So that we can tackle all your gardening problems in a genuinely holistic manner.
3: So please tune in next week. And if you want to follow us on Twitter, you can find us at Guardian Gardens or on Facebook, Guardian Gardens. Or you can email Alice at theguardian.com. We look forward to hearing from you.